Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Now it's understandable that at this time of year we would have a, a seasonal message. And um, for those of you who are regulars, you may be feeling a little nervous right about now because with everything that's gone on, we're already heading up to the one o'clock region. And you may be feeling like, Lord help us, please be short. <laughs> what well, is my intention to be short and sweet? Yes? Amen to that? Because I can go long if you like, you know, it's all right. Let's go with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now it's almost Christmas. And. I don't know about you, but I have many early recollections of Christmas. I realize that there are some who have come to love Christmas. There are some that just hate Christmas. And then there are those who are somewhere in between. Typically, I've been one of those individuals that has been somewhere left or right of the middle. Say, hmm. but how can you as a pastor be anywhere in the middle, let alone swing into the hate side? Well, there have been occasions throughout my years of life, like I'm an old man, throughout my many years of life. Throughout my years of life, there have been occasions when, you know what? I've really despised what Christmas has come to mean. Now, notice I say has come to mean. Of course, I love Jesus. And when I think about it, when I look back, I can honestly say that I always have. I was brought up by my grandmother. And um, I was one of those children that Robert spoke of earlier, who was forced to go to church. Forced to go to church. And back in the day when I was going to church, there was no such thing as funky music and rap and jeans and trainers in church. And no, 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 no. I remember having to go to church and I had this, there was a, there was a time when I was going and I had one suit. And it's what they call a plaid suit. Now, some of you are not familiar with that term, plaid. For the longest time, I didn't know what it was talking about, plaid. You know, when you get, it's not, it's not a pinstripe suit, but it's one of those suits with the stripes, the checkered stripes. So it's got a block of stripes going this way and then a block of stripes going this way. And that was the whole of the suit. Can you imagine that? I wish I could have found one to wore today. Just to celebrate the moment. I had a plaid suit and that's all I had. And um, during those days, I often would have to sing on the junior choir. And so with this plaid suit, which was a kind of light gray plaid suit, I'd be wearing a yellow shirt and green tie on an elastic Now you could tell that back in those days I weren't concerned with matching. Yellow, green, and plaid. Grey plaid with brown shoes. In fact, my wife almost didn't marry me because of those brown shoes. So that was my early experience of going to church and 
I particularly remember Christmas services. Now, we had the, the, the good fortune, if you like, of having our own building in those days. And as a result, we would have service on Christmas Day. I mean, imagine how that felt as a child. Knowing that you've got gifts there ready to be opened. And you had to go to church. And it wasn't just the going to church that was a problem. But church was long. We would get to church maybe 10.30. And the... Now, you don't think it's bad around here. Listen, I've earned my stripes. The service would finish at 3.30. Don't worry about talking and fellowshipping and enjoying each other's company. The service would finish at 3.30. And there wasn't no children's church. All of us would sit down on the back bench, chewing, chewing gum and sticking it underneath the bench, getting chased by the quote-unquote mothers of Zion. Young man, be quiet. And church was just long. On Christmas Day of all days. Now some of you are laughing because you know you've had that experience. You share my pain. But as I grew older, I kind of looked back on those times with fondness. Because Christmas had a, had a, had a, a real sense of meaning. At least for me as a young man growing up. And then as I hit my teen, late teen years and so on, and I began to be very objectionable, questioning everything, I kind of really began to look out and think, how is it that Christmas is so commercial? It's just been absolutely overtaken by merchandising and money-making. And I went into somewhat of a dilemma and then I began to see certain practices and certain customs associated with Christmas even that Christians enjoyed and I began to think but hold on what relevance does that have to the the Bible and the message of Christmas that we find in the scriptures and so in those seasons I would kind of be averse just want Christmas to be low-key I was searching for meaning in it, even as a young man trying to find his way in life. And so I look back on varied experiences of Christmas, and no doubt, as we approach Christmas this year, it feels like things are different. Things are different. It it somehow doesn't even really feel like Christmas. I mean... Where's the woolly hats and thick scarves and snow and cold, bitter, biting cold? When I think back to Christmas, I think it it was always cold, even if it didn't snow. It was always freezing. Things change, right? Things don't remain the same. Especially at this time that we're in. Especially at this time that we're in. Wow. The credit crunch. You can't go anywhere but hear about the credit crunch. This credit crunch, you might as well call a credit crush. Because when, listen, I heard that Woolworths is closing down. I was like, no. Woolworths. It's closing down. Now, apparently, the store's been open for 99 years. I'm sure my first Christmas presents probably came from Wolves. My first action man with the eagle eyes. When you see Wolves closing down, you know, things are deep. I read an article about Anthea Turner and her tycoon husband. Lamenting the fact that they stood to to lose a hundred million as a result of the credit crunch. A hundred million. 
And there were some who were saying, well, if you had 100 million to lose, you know what, I'm not going to cry for you. But undoubtedly, the climate affects our approach to Christmas. And it's interesting because the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, almost said Rowan Atkinson, but that's, that's Mr. Bean, right? Often they're confused, but not on this occasion. He is quoted as having a reflection on the credit crunch in light of Christmas. And he said that the credit crunch provides a welcome reality check for a society bent on greed and consumerism. Now, I don't often agree with his quotes, but on this occasion, I do happen to agree. Because even on a personal level, as I've approached Christmas, I've had to think twice about spending and splashing out. And it's caused me to have to think just on a personal level. How can I approach this Christmas and it have all of the meaning and richness without all of the expense and lavishing? And I think it's done that for a lot of people. It's caused a lot of people to consider, well, you know, what is Christmas really all about? When it's not about ostentatious spending, lavishing gifts and showing your spending power, driving yourself into debt, running up credit cards, as so many do. Even this, I went to Tesco's the other day, two days ago. Oh, was it yesterday? Yesterday, Saturday. Tesco was quiet. I said to myself, wow. I, I expected to, and it was like midday, one o'clock, something like that. Last Saturday before Christmas, I thought Tesco's was going to be heaving. I thought it was going to be a nightmare. People ain't even buying food. <laughs> Don't worry about whole turkeys. Chicken legs will do this year. <laughs> huh. And people are having to rethink their game plan when it comes to Christmas. I remember the days growing up when it was three different meats at the table. Even four. And you eat until your belly pop. But, mm -mm. What do we do? We're in a situation where we're forced to rethink. And, you know, I wouldn't go as far as to say that the Lord has caused the credit crunch. Specially designed for this Christmas. So that we'd all be brought to our knees. No. You know, it's man's greed that has caused the credit crunch. But the Lord exploits the opportunity. To remind us that, you know, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still on his throne. And he still desires to be known. And so, what do we give for Christmas when money's tight? When the credit crunch is on, when we're feeling crushed? Well, I found inspiration for the answer in a very unlikely place, let me say. This place is such that it is recognized as being the third largest in its industry sector. The third largest in its industry sector. It generates, it is said to generate a, a, a revenue of $250 million per year. It employs thousands. This area has had no government investment or foreign investment. 
And yet, it is characterized by poor quality. You're wondering, aren't you? And weak scripts. Well, this unlikely place that I have found inspiration is Nollywood. Nollywood. I was introduced to Nollywood this year via Sky. It was a revelation to me. First there was Hollywood. Then there was Bollywood. Now there is Nollywood. The third largest film industry. They turn out over 2,000 films per year. Now, consider that. Two, that's maybe 50 per week. 50 films per week. Some would say it's no wonder that it's characterized by poor quality and shoddy scripts. But, love it or hate it, it seems that Nollywood is here to stay. And what does Nollywood do? What would it be about Nollywood that would inspire me? (laughs) Nollywood, just like the rest of the film industry, tells stories. Nollywood tells stories. Everybody loves stories. Week after week, millions tune in to their favorite soap operas. What's going on in Corrie? EastEnders, Emmerdale. I remember when Emmerdale was Emmerdale Farm. Back in the day when Crossroads used to be on TV. From before El, was it El Salvador? What was it? What was El Dorado? You know, we're taking it back. I know some of you got El Dorado on your old VHS cassettes. You're not gonna throw them away. Everybody loves stories. Listen, since Adam, humanity has been telling stories. Can you imagine Adam? When he was telling Eve the story of where she came from. Well, Eve, one minute I was awake, next minute I was asleep. And I woke up, my eyes just kind of blurry, and then there you were, bam, right in front of me. Stories. Adam telling Eve about the fruit. Well, Eve, God's put us in the garden. And we can eat all of the fruit. Look at that fruit over there. It's lovely, luscious. But we can't eat that one. Stories. Stories were the means by which knowledge and understanding was passed on from generation to generation. Some may say that storytelling was the first form of art. The art of storytelling. Everyone loves stories. And some things have never changed. Children love stories. And we say that Christmas is for children, right? Look at the way that they so wonderfully depicted the Christmas story today. Stories cause information to live. As parents, some of us are used to telling bedtime stories. Reading Hansel and Gretel or Cinderella or whatever the more modern versions may be. I used to make them up. I think I kind of got a bit lazy, read all the books that we had. It was just like, okay, make something up. So I made them up as I went along. And I used to think that my children would say, you know what, dad, this is kind of boring, you know. 
I think we need to go to Woolworths and get some new books. But no. However disjointed, however weaker storyline, they would always listen. And there's me thinking they're going to fall asleep in a minute. I'll be safe. I'll be gone clear. Give them five minutes, me rambling on, but no. And then the questions would come. And I'm like, but I've just made this. Half the time I didn't tell them. I've just made this story up. Yes, well, Dad, but what happened when she went to that place and then I'd make up an answer? It's all part of the story. So, what can we give for Christmas when money is tight? For Christmas, this Christmas and any other Christmas and any other time, why don't we give them the story of Christmas? Why don't we give them the story of Christmas? It's amazing because we assume that our children know the story. We assume that we even know the story. But the reality is when we look at what is portrayed in our culture, what is portrayed on the TV, what is portrayed in the songs, we hear very little of the Christmas story. God faithfully gave the story. He preserved his word supernaturally that we might have the story. He committed the story to men who faithfully gave the story. And we are called to faithfully share the story with others. Especially with our children. We were doing a play in school this week and... There was a point uh, a couple weeks ago where... We were explaining just to try and help them understand the play a bit more and learn their lines well. We were explaining the fact that the play is based on the Christmas story. And there were a couple of bewildered faces. Now this is teenagers, year 11, getting ready to leave secondary school. And someone had the, the boldness to say, what Christmas story? This is young people, 15, going on 16. And the play had characters called Mary and Joseph. And Mary was pregnant by no man. And it, it was a parody, it was a modern setting of the Christmas story. And yet for all that, there were still those that didn't make the connection. They had never heard the original They'd only ever heard the remix, as is so often the case these days, right? And it kind of caused me to step back and think again. Wow. Has the story got so lost that people don't even really fully understand and appreciate what it is, even in a basic sense. We need to give the story to others. It's not surprising that people don't really fully understand the story. I mean, what we see of Christmas is Christmas trees, mistletoe, yuletide logs, I still don't know what that is. A yuletide log. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Santa Claus and Christmas stockings. There are so many traditions associated with Christmas. There are so many cultural practices. Growing up in my house, there were certain things that were certain at Christmas. Jim Reeves would get the joint and they would cut it in half and put it in two pans. 
put it in the oven. Then, as that mum got older and her daughter grew up, her daughter done the same thing. Because her daughter asked her mum, Mum, why do you cut the joint and put it in two pans and put it in the oven? And her mum said, well, I don't know. My mum used to do it. And so I do it. And I'm sure it make it taste better. And so her daughter went on to do it. And then the mum who was asked went and asked her mum, Mum, why did you used to cut the joint and put it in two pans and put it in the oven? I do that now. I'm, I'm, your granddaughter, our daughter's doing it now. And she said, well, back then we had a very small oven. And we couldn't get it all in one pan. And Christmas is like that. So often we just adopt learnt behavior without actually thinking why. I mean, this brother Santa Claus. What a way of upstaging Christmas. My man gets all the shine. What is his story? Santa Claus. There was that season when I went through the, the um, ghetto hermeneutics stage. Where you would take letters and rearrange them. And so you see Santa is just coded for Satan. Some of these traditions and some of these practices are nonsense. Some of them are harmless. Some of them are beneficial. It's important that we learn to decide what is and what's not. It's important that we do our homework. I mean, we got Google, right? I found it interesting when I learned that the tradition of Santa Claus actually had Christian origins in response to an individual who was called Saint Nicholas. Saint Nicholas. And because of the accent in that region, it was St. Claus. And then it became Santa Claus. And this individual would go around to orphanages and needy families. And anonymously, he would drop gifts down their chimneys. And apparently, the tradition of the Christmas stocking came about because one day he dropped some gifts and when I say gifts, obviously we're not talking about PS3s and, you know, it might have been gold coins or something going down the chimney quite easily. He dropped these gifts down the chimney and the, the family had some stockings hanging over the fire to dry and they dropped into the stockings. And so apparently this is how Santa Claus got his job. Sometimes some of these traditions are helpful in us being able to use them as object lessons, use them as aids to telling the story, passing the story on. Some of them are of pagan origin. Why? Not for sinister reasons. But because as missionaries went across the globe and encountered different cultures and their pagan rituals, in winning them to Christ, they would transfer the meaning of their rituals to give them Christian meaning. So there was once a missionary in Germany who met some people about to sacrifice a child before a tree, to their God to please him. And so the missionary cut the tree down. And he pointed them to an, an evergreen tree. And he said, let the tree be a symbol of life to you, not death. Let the tree that is evergreen be a symbol of consistent life throughout the seasons 
And then he proceeded to make reference to the tree of the cross through which life came and light came into the world. And so they decorated the tree with lights and so on and so forth. And so some of these traditions have come about by reason of good intent. But as with all things, we have to be careful that they don't cloud the real story. They don't obscure and get in the way of the real story. So what is the story? What is the Christmas story? Well, let's look. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, The virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and a great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now we see there one perspective, one angle of the Christmas story. And we can find the completing, fulfilling perspective in Luke chapter 2. And when we see the story, I mean, at a glance, it may be a little cliched. We've heard it all before. And yet there's so much depth and there's so much richness. I mean, as a story, it has it all. Drama. This woman is engaged to this man. They're betrothed to be married. She's pregnant. Who's the daddy? I mean, we still see the scripts being replayed. Something like that with Roxy going on right now, right? Who's the daddy? We see comedy, romance, family. It's thrilling. Are they going to find the baby? Are they going to find the two-year-old toddler and kill him? Is he going to be there when they come? There's suspense. There's fantasy. Angels appearing and talking to people. And above all things, as we all love, it's a true story. Not just based on a true story. I remember watching Coach Carter. Film Grip Me. All the more knowing that it was based on a true story. The guys were showing some of the young people, Freedom Writers, the film this week. Another Coach Carter type film. Based on a true story. In fact, they had some of the young people on whom the story was based actually acting in the film. It makes a story all the more gripping when we know that there's truth in it. And throughout the ages, there have been stories. Throughout the ages, there have been stories of Individuals with godlike qualities. <coughs> Individuals with superhuman powers. Individuals who will come and do great and wondrous things. Individuals who were predicted of before their time. And yet none of them compare to the story of Jesus Christ. None of them compare. How many times did we hear it said in that passage that we read, 
in order to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophet. Robert mentioned earlier the prophecy concerning the virgin that would give birth. Isaiah 7.14 And I shall give you a sign, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, that would just sound like mythology to anyone. That would sound like a tall tale, really entertaining by the campfire. No sky, no cable. Let's listen to some tall stories. But we saw that that one prophecy, which was actually impossible, (laughs) humanly impossible to be fulfilled, was fulfilled to the letter and is assigned to us all. Not just to those who, like the shepherds or the wise men, went to see the child laying in this feeding trough. And no, it's not likely it was December the 25th. Because winter is very cold in Palestine. And so the shepherds wouldn't have been out watching their flocks by night. And yet, we see that it is a sign to us here and now. A sign that Jesus is who God says he is. And this is why we must tell the story. Because it's not just a legend, a myth, or a fable. Like Hans Christian Andersen's tales. Like Greek mythology. This is a true story that actually happened. And has relevance to every single one of us. Living in this time of the credit crush. It particularly has relevance to us because, as we read, this baby, the Savior, would save his people from their sins. And this is why we've got to tell this story. This is why we ought to know this story. Why we ought to believe this story. Why we always ought to live this story, not just Christmas. Because this baby became a man. This man lived a perfect life. Having lived a perfect life, he died a brutal, torturous death. Having done no wrong. He shed his innocent blood. Seemingly for no reason. Having been nailed to the cross. He was born to die. This is why it's so essential that, like the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, we tell this story. Because it is only through Jesus Christ's death that we can have life. Jesus was the superhuman one who was predicted. The only one who could get us out of eternal debt. You see, we might feel that the credit crunch is bad, but there's no worse a debt that we can face than being indebted to God because of our sin. When we find that when God comes to examine the accounts, we don't have sufficient funds. You see, our sin puts us in debt. And however good we are, All that does is stop us from getting deeper into debt. It doesn't clear our existing debt. And we're all born into debt. Some of you say, amen, yeah. I inherited a whole load of debt from my family. But this is a debt that we inherit from Adam. And that we don't have the funds, we don't have the currency to clear But thank God for Jesus Christ. 
You see, the payment for sin, the Bible tells us, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And in this season of worry over death, watching the pennies and the pounds looking after themselves, let us consider the fact that Christ paid our debt on the cross. This is why he came. This is the story that's to be told. He paid our debt that we might be forgiven that our account would be brought into credit and that we would be found acceptable before God. So, in reality, we don't have to fear the credit crunch. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? The gift of God is eternal life. None of us deserve it. None of us are owed it. Just like the gifts at Christmas. It's given freely as an expression of love. Jesus was given. Yes, he was given. He existed before he was born. And he left heaven under the bidding of his father. Given for us in every sense of the word unto death. And please don't think that, you know what? I'll be all right. I can do without Jesus. I'm a hustler. Well, you could be a hustler like Jay-Z, thinking you're going to get by. It's not going to happen. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so, I exhort you, I urge you, and I encourage you. If you've joined us today and you know that you are indebted, you know that you have broken God's commandments, you know that you have lied, you've stolen, you know that you've looked at someone lustfully, even committed lustful acts, you've had greed For items, also known as covetousness. You've not honored the Lord and put him first in your life. You've looked at someone with hatred in your heart towards them. All of these things are infractions, infringements. All of these things are what the Bible calls transgressions to overstep the mark. And if that's you, you stand guilty before God. You're in the red. And yet, the Lord commands that you repent. Don't continue going in your own way, thinking that you're going to get by. He says, repent. Change your heart, change your attitude, change your mind and turn to me. Let light come into your life. Be renewed from within. Have a new hope and a future. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you, Lord, for the provision that you've made. Lord, you provided Christ as the Savior. You provided your word that we might know. Know that you love us. Know that there is a savior upon whom we can call. Lord, we thank you for those men that you inspired to commit this word and transmit this word from generation to generation. Those who have faithfully responded to that mandate and that call and that commission to give, to give this word of eternal life to others. 
And may we be found one as people who have received this word with all of our hearts. That we've repent of our sins. That we've put our faith in Christ alone. Believed on him. That we confess him as our Lord and commit ourselves to follow him. And that too we would be faithful to give this word to others. That they might know. That they might have eternal life. That they might be able to receive the greatest gift ever given. And so thank you. As we enter this Christmas season, Lord. We do so bearing in mind the greatest story ever told. Thank you, Lord, for sharing it with us, for sharing your son with us. In Jesus' name, amen.